Let's join together as we um, read together our text this morning. Open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. My Bible entitles this Guidance for the Young, but I think it's guidance for all of us. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet on your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord in all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. May the Lord add his blessing this morning as we continue to worship our Lord. been fighting a cold this week, so I think it'd be wise for me to start out with a cough drop. Mm-hmm. Any else? Anyone else been fighting a cold in the last week or two? Okay, there'll be a special table at lunchtime <laughs> for the unclean. Special table for the unclean for the for fellowship lunch. This chapter of Proverbs uh, has been a precious one to me since I was young. Here we find uh, things that appeal to those just. Uh, at the start of adulthood, or even just before, and for those of us who've experienced adulthood for a few years or decades. <laughs> and some of these things become more precious to us as the years go by. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's verse 1. Another version says, store my commands in your heart. That kind of gives that, that, that thought that uh, Steve and I have been presenting that when the scripture says keep, let your heart keep my commands, it means to cherish, to treasure, to store. To store with the sense, I don't want to lose this. This is too precious to let go of. To, be, to let it become corrupted or to let it be lost or to let it become weak. It's too precious. We've got to store it. We've got to keep it. <clears throat> store my commands in your heart. 
Now, what, why is it heart here? Why not in the mind? In the New Covenant of Jeremiah and later on in Hebrews, it talks about God writing the, His laws where? On our heart and on our mind. Now, here it just emphasizes the heart. Now, the mind is important too, but why is it emphasizing the heart? Well, the heart is a place where emotion is involved. In other words, where there's caring involved. You know, there's some things you learn about, but you don't really care that much about it. Um, I've had problems with my car, and I'll go to websites, even on YouTube, there's instructional videos on how to do this or that, and I'll learn how to do it. But the only reason I'm doing it is so I can get the car going and then I can forget about it, right? And so there's some things we learn in the head, but we want to forget about it because we don't want to deal with that every day. We have more dear things to us, more precious things to us that we want to be focused on and enjoying. But not with God's commands. God's commands, we don't just learn them to put them aside so we don't have to think about them anymore. We want to get them into a heart because we want to get them into the caring place of, a, of our experience so that we can really enjoy them the way we enjoy the things that we treasure the most. So we then keep the commandments out of love and respect and deep admiration for God and for the commands themselves. So put them in the heart, treasure them in the heart. But how do we activate the heart? Does anyone remember what is the thing? Now, I've never used this term before, activate the heart. But maybe you can put two and two together. What would activate the heart? What would activate that part of us to really respond to God with deep admiration and respect and love? Begins with P. Praise. Praise. Praise activates the heart. If anybody has an experience where you say, oh, well, my heart's not in it. Oh, yes, I'm learning good things. Yes, I'm seeing benefits to this or that. But if my heart's not in it, why, when is my heart going to get in? Well, you activate it through praise. And praise is talking to God about the truth of how good He is. And if you need practice, do you know where to go? The Psalms. Anybody remember which Psalms? 91 through 106. 91 through 106. Go to those Psalms. And as you read them, pray to God about what you're learning there, what you're seeing there, what you're experiencing with the psalmist. Pray them back up to God. And you'll be practicing praise and you'll be activating your heart to be able to treasure the things that God gives you, including His commands. Now verse 2, For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Who are the longest living people in the United States? Seventh-day Adventists. The uh, research from the National Institutes of Health National Geographic and others have found that Seventh-day Adventists are the longest live, living people in the United States. So that's nice. In, in another version it says, if you do this, you will live many years and, ah, this is the best part, 
And your life will be satisfying. Now, how would you like to live a long, time, a long life that is totally unsatisfying? No. How would you like, like to live a long life that's miserable? Some, in some states now, it's allowed for doctor-assisted suicide for people who don't want to live any longer because their life is unbearable. Usually because of pain, but now they're allowing emotional pain, not just physical pain. And um, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? But God wants us to have a long life that is satisfying. Or another version says, a long life lived full and well. That's even better, isn't it? Lived full and well. Are you living your life well? Is it full for you? If it isn't, come back to God and to His commands, His instructions, His ways. Because that's what He wants to provide for you, a life lived full and well. This to me is a life of adventure. You can't have a full life without adventure. He wants adventure. In other words, dreams. Dreams to be dreamed and dreams to be lived out, to be fulfilled. That's what He wants. And a life that through living those dreams, the kind of dreams that God gives, you end up making a difference for others. I'm thrilled with what Amanda shares with us week by week when she's telling about things going on where she works and the lives of people that, are being, that she's being touched, being touched by her ministry there. And we could say the same thing. Go right around the room. I could see people here who their lives and ministries and the way they do things of touching other people. And we're here, we hear stories from time to time about each one. Isn't that the real way to live? Touching lives, helping others. And that's what God says He has for us. So we don't want to forget God's laws. They will help us really live life. Now verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, I didn't know they had iPads back in those days. You know, a tablet, that's, that's the term, isn't it? Write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, an emotional involvement in what God has given us, the mercy and the truth. Now, why do we need mercy? Well, we need God's mercy to us because do we do everything right? Or can we mess things up here and there? Oh, all the time. Sometimes we feel like we can't do anything right. We need mercy. And is God full of mercy? He says His mercies never fail. He is constantly merciful to us. Understanding, loving, compassionate. He looks beyond our fault and sees our need. That's it. And wonderful mercy of God. So we need that. But also, we get to be channels of mercy to others. Do other people need mercy from us? Sure, because they mess up. People hurt us. And, or they, are they're just hurting and not necessarily hurt, hurt us, but maybe they're just hurting. They're lonely. They're, they're broken. 
uh, things aren't going right in their lives and they need somebody to come along and say, hey, I, I, I know a little bit of what you're going through. There's, there's someone you can turn to for help and I, I want to be here for you. We can be understanding and caring and encouraging. Let mercy not forsake you. Let's hold on to that. And then the other thing is truth. Don't let go of truth, he says. Some people are letting go of truth today. And it's not too much different than Bible times. People let go of truth because they want something that truth doesn't encourage. They, they, they have a, a, a hunger or an appetite for something that they know isn't quite right. They have a conviction that this ought to be left alone. And so they let go of truth so now they can feel better about going after the thing that they hunger for. That's happening in our society. Now it happened way back in the time of Jesus when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. He said there are people who won't go after the light because they love the darkness too much. And then he said it plainly, they love their sins. And so they don't want the light that Jesus had to offer. So Jesus, so, so the, the writer here of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, says, don't get into that trap. If you start to see that you're letting go of truth in order to have something that's really not right, that's a trap. Don't let go of the truth. Hold on to the truth more solid. Let go of the other thing. You may think it's going to be something so enjoyable, so necessary, but let go of it. It's not going to be good that way. Get, the, get your needs met a different way. Get it met God's way. You don't need to meet your needs that way. If you have to let go, if you have to let go of truth to get your needs met, there's something wrong. It won't help you. It'll end up hurting you. If you want long life that's really fulfilling, then hold on to mercy and hold on to truth. Verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Now, it may not be too difficult to find favor and high esteem in the sight of men. There are people in our society who can use all kinds of means and, and methods um, to get into positions of influence and power and wealth and so on and high, have the esteem of man. Do they always do what's right? No. Sometimes the thinking is the ends justifies the means. So as long as I can get what I want and get into the position that I long for, whatever it takes. If I have to step on people to get there, well, so be it. But, but the Bible's saying no. 
No, you've got to find also favor in the sight of God. Now, not only favor in the sight of God, but what was the other thing? High esteem. Wow. High esteem of God? What would that take? Well, where is it? Is it Micah 6, 8, I think it is. Where it says he, what has God asked of us? He has, he has asked us to do three things. Remember what they are? To love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with your God. Now, would that person have high esteem before God? Yes. Now, what is this to love mercy? We've kind of talked about that already, haven't we? And appreciate the mercy that comes to us and be channels of mercy out to other people with compassion, love, understanding, forgiveness. And what about do justly? What does that entail? That means being honest in our work and in our business and in personal life. It means to be fair, right? Treat people fairly, evenly. We don't, we don't give a lot of uh, privileges to somebody who has position or wealth just because of that. We treat everybody with the same kind of caring and, and meeting their needs. Um, so do justly. It also means to seek justice for the downtrodden, right? The people who are the outcasts that nobody wants to, to care for, to pay attention to, to go out of their way for. But this says you go out of the way. Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, right? Who went out of his way. So do just and to walk humbly with God. I suppose that's the hardest one. They have true humility because the, our human nature tends to, to grab a hold of any kind of pride, any kind of self-exaltation that we can. But this says to walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. That's high esteem. Now there was someone who did this. In fact, it's almost the same wording. Can you think of in the scripture this wording used about a person? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Almost the exact same wording on the last part, right? He increased in favor with God and man. Now, did Jesus have a fulfilling life? An adventurous life? It didn't turn out to be a long life. Not at 33. But of course he kept on living after that and it's eternity. But he had a special, a special mission to, uh, to accomplish. But when he went down to Nazareth at age 12 and he submitted to his parents and he lived there for another 18 years there in Nazareth, he served his parents and the community and people saw the development of walking 
with God humbly and having mercy and doing justly. He was that. He was all that. So will God help others, help young people and those not so young to follow the example of Jesus? That's available to us, isn't it? Now, number five, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your what? There that is again. He's really emphasizing this, isn't he? And lean not on your own understanding. Another version says it this way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. And don't try to figure out everything on your own. Who have we been studying that that came up with? Uh, this idea. Yeah, the book, of, the book of Job kind of brings this out, doesn't it? Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Now, is the Holy Spirit ready and willing to help us? Now, we're not supposed to do it on our own, but can we try to figure things out with the Holy Spirit? Yes. People like Sir Isaac Newton and Einstein and others tried to figure out what God had designed into the world. And they asked for God's help to figure it out. Did God help them? Well, they got beautiful insights that helped, helped our whole civilization. So you and I, if we have things that we are drawn to investigate and to search out, ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and try to figure out with God's blessing uh, of uh, understanding. And he will help us. Jesus told about it in John chapter 16. You can turn to it if you like. John chapter 16. I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 14. I'm going to be reading in the contemporary English version, which is put out by the American Bible Society. I like that version. It's a uh, true translation. Um, but it does put it pretty simply for us. John chapter 16, starting with verse 12. I have much more to say to you. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, I have much more I, uh, that I, um, I have much more to say to you. But, but right now, it would be more than you could understand. The Spirit knows what is true, and He will come and guide you into the full truth. The Spirit doesn't speak of His own. He will tell you only what he has heard from me. And he will let you know what is going to happen. The Spirit will bring glory to me by taking my message and telling it to you. So the Holy Spirit is promised to come and to explain and to teach us. And so when we start, when we ask God and say, Lord, help me, I want to understand things better. Is that a step of faith? It's a step of faith, isn't it? Because you're anticipating that God has a way to help you understand something better. Of course, that's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so when we ask God for the help, we're saying, God, I know the help is there. And I'm just telling you, I want that help. I want to understand things better. Now, verse 6. Back in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, 
and he shall direct your paths. Another version says, in all your ways, oh no, that's the same one. It says, listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Pretty good words. But I like that part. It says, listen for God's voice in everything you do. That makes it plainer than in all your ways acknowledge Him. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. Boy, I'd like to have that happen. Wherever I go, whatever I do, listen to God's voice. Listen to His voice. Trust Him to be able to keep you on track and to guide you into some new adventures that you have no idea about. Trusting God more than yourself is really a lifelong challenge. It's not just for young people. It's great if you can learn it young. But even if you have learned it young, you still have to learn it over and over again. That's what I found. One of the best examples of a young person learning this lesson and putting it into practice was Mary who became the mother of Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 1. You can leave Proverbs. We won't be coming back here. We'll refer to the thoughts, but you have them in your mind. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Excuse me. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named, named, Lazarus, uh, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and over and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. 
and this is now the sixth month for her who is called who was called barren for with God nothing will be impossible then Mary said behold the the maid servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her basically Mary said, let God's plan be my plan. Now, she had plans. What were her plans before the angel came? To get married. Did she have a good man in mind? Yes. Was he a man who loved her? Oh, as the story unfolds, we see he, was, he loved her very much. Cared about her a lot. True love. Now, did he love God? Yes. Was he a believer? Yes. Well, a person of faith. Indeed. So what, <clears throat> excuse me, what better husband to have somebody who loved her and loved God? And she planned that she would marry and they would have a nice, quiet life together in Nazareth. Was he able to, did he have a job? Yes, he could support a family. He was a carpenter. Now, was he going to become rich and and famous or something? No, a carpenter was not a big job at that time. Not, a, not something to become famous for. But apparently he was hardworking, honest, good quality work. She admired him for it. And so she could have a good life with a man who loved her. And they could serve the Lord together. But now... This was something different. The angel said, God has a different plan for you. And what did Mary say? I'll put aside my plan so God's plan can be fulfilled. And so she did what it says there in, um, in Proverbs. She trusted in the Lord with all her heart and she leaned not unto her own understanding. She didn't know just how it could be. But she basically said, I would rather do what God wants than what to do what I want to do. How many young people make that choice? But how many people make choices that end up hurting them and others? And causing trouble sometimes that can last a whole lifetime. And God wants to avoid that. He wants to help us avoid that. Now Mary, Mary chose God's plan. How did that work out? Well, there were some difficulties along the way. She saw her own son die. But her life has inspired countless people for 2,000 years. Her name and story have spread all over the globe. What was accomplished through her? And there are others. There's Joseph. He was young. Daniel, David, Samuel, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, the John the Beloved, Timothy. These are young people who chose God's plan. What a blessing. God knows how to work. Today, young people can do the same because God will do the same. His promise is still the same. 
And what about those of us who have a little more experience than young people? Some of us who are down the road a ways. Is it too late to trust God now? Never. Never too late to choose his plans. Was Moses pretty old? 80 years old when God chose him to lead Israel. Abraham in his 90s when things started to really happen. Nicodemus, we don't know exactly how old he was, but it seems like he was what today we might say retirement age. They were older people, but God used them. At every stage of life, it is always best to trust God more than ourselves. And to say, God is good all the time. Will he be good for you? Can you put your life in his hands and say, Lord, show me what your plan is for me. And he will do it. Just like he did for Mary and all these others. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the same, the same that you were for Daniel and for Samuel and for Mary. The same one who loves to lead and guide people so that we don't have to be tangled up with the messes that we can create with our limited understanding of things. But you can guide us to a life that's fulfilling and meaningful and helpful not only to us, but to people all around us. People we would never think of reaching out to. Never think that we could be helpful to. But you know how to do it. And you can give us abilities and opportunities that are beyond our imagination. And you can accomplish that which will last forever. We praise you and we turn to you with trust today. In Jesus' name. Let's take our hymnals and we turn to our closing hymn, number 125. Joy to the world. Now that's not just joy about Jesus' first coming. But joy to the world because of what God wants to do coming into our lives day by day today. Number 
60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Amen.